mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 7 as we continue through the testimony of John if you'll remember with me, we closed last week, and I'd like to just hit a couple things. We have came out of um, Jesus' sermon on the bread of life. He is the bread of life. And he called for the people to commit to him. Commit to him. He said, you seek after me for the physical bread, because your bellies were full. And I want you to commit to me and understand that I am the bread of life. I'm everything you need for life. And then we got to, and I like verse 63, and I want you to tie this back in and understand it. It is the Spirit who gives life. See, nobody can come to God unless the Spirit of God gives him life. But look, the flesh profits nothing. How often do we live in the flesh? The flesh profits nothing in a spiritual kingdom. And then he says this statement, you can tie in at the end, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. And it's very important that we understand that, that his very words, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. And so as we hear the voice of God and listen to, to God and follow him and we build this love relationship there is the evidence of life new life because we will be going the other way if you're hearing his voice and following him you're most definitely not going the way you were going before because the Holy Spirit's not going to lead you back to death it'll lead you onward and upward into the kingdom of God longest chapter of the New Testament and of course as he calls for commitment he explains why and what and how his flesh is bread and how his blood is drink is because it's a spiritual food. It's a spiritual life. It's a spiritual kingdom. We serve a spiritual God. We're spirits in a body, not bodies with a spirit. The spirit is the most important part of it. And we're given this testimony of man in verse 666. From that time, many of his disciples, his learners, the pupils that had been following him, went back and walked with him no more. They walked away because they were trying to feed their belly. They were trying to take care of a physical life, and he was offering spiritual life, and they weren't interested so Jesus, and notice it's six, and then seven, Jesus looks at the 12, and he says, do you want to go away? Do you also want to go away? And then in the new beginning, eight, 68, 
Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe, to trust, to commit, and understand that you know that and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. You're the Mashiach. You're the one that has been sent. You have the words of eternal life. Remember, the words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Listen, where are you going? Where have you been going? Where are you going for help? Who are you crying out to? Peter says, whom shall we go to? You have the words of eternal life. Where are you getting your help from? Where are you getting your wisdom from? Who is counseling you? When, it, when my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. Are you looking to the word of God, the living word of God for your counsel? Are you looking to people who know the Word of God to help counsel you? I think it's so very important to understand that, that this Bible is God-breathed. This is not just some suggestions. This is God-breathed. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells us all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, excuse me, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God and the woman of God might be thoroughly equipped and ready for every good work. Listen, it's all God breathed. What do you mean, Greg? Well, God spoke in the beginning and he's still speaking today and he wants us to hear his voice and to follow him. And today's the day to hear his voice. Today's the day to surrender. Today's the day to make the decision, where can I go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to know that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Your, your, life, your, your life incarnate. There's nowhere else to go. And yet, you know, our flesh goes other places. We will pick up the phone and call somebody instead of asking God. I was listening to a pastor this week. I won't mention any names. Andy Stanley, heretic. Oh, I mentioned names, didn't I? And he literally stood there on the stage looking at his congregation, one of the largest congregations in America, and said, just because Jesus said it doesn't make it true. That's what he believed. And I'm like, why did you not hear the chairs turning over and the doors breaking and people running out of the room? When somebody would look at you and say to you, as a teacher, just because Jesus said it doesn't make it true, when Jesus is truth, Jesus is the word of God. When the Father spoke, his word went out to heal the land. It's the wisdom of God, the heart of God. It's everything of God incarnate. And for a pastor who has got one of the biggest churches in America to say just because Jesus believed it, just because he said it, does not make it true, is blasphemy. And if he doesn't repent, he's going to go to hell because he's leading other peoples to hell. And he said the Bible's not the important book. We don't need it. When he's teaching, he doesn't refer to the Bible. He refers to the testimony of John. He refers to the testimony of Peter, but it's nothing to do with the Bible. Listen, God gave us the Bible as a love letter so that if we will have spiritual ears, 
if we will believe, that's the only way you're going to get them. You have to believe that Jesus is the Mashiach of God. He's the Savior of the world. He's the anointed. He's the bread of life. And you have to commit to him. You can't say, well, I think he might be a good man. Well, I think he might be the Savior, but I don't know. But everybody seems to be having fun, so I'm going to follow him and warm my hands. You have to personally believe that he is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. And then you shall be saved. And then you receive the Spirit which seals you. And then you can understand this spiritually discerned book. I'm ahead of myself. We'll get back to that. Listen to me. Listen to me. It's so important that we understand when you hear God's voice, you want to turn and you want to follow Him. You don't want to keep doing what you're doing. I was at a funeral yesterday and we... Uh, uh, celebrated the life of Carla White. She went to be with the Lord on the 8th of November. And I've only known her about a year. Her husband's been married to her 43 years, and he was able, by the grace of God, to stand up there and eulogize her life. And, and one of the, 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 best funeral, I, the best funeral I've ever been to was an amazing funeral. But what I want to tell you is this, is that what I remember from Carla, not just that she was fun and she was crazy and she knew Jesus, but I was talking to her one day, and there's a song out, and I, you probably heard it. Corey Ashbury, I think, is his name. He sings Reckless Love. And God is not reckless. Listen to me. God is not reckless. That song's from the pit of hell just like Andy Stanley. I'm not saying that Corey Ashbury's not saved. I'm not saying anything. But I don't care what kind of poetic license you want to have when you change the character of God and say that God is reckless. God is not reckless. Everything that he does is inside of time. It's planned out. He spoke, he and he knows what he's doing. There's nothing reckless about God. And I don't even care if you look at it from our perspective looking up. It's still not reckless. It's perfect love. It's not reckless. Reckless means uh, 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 no self-control. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, in self-control, there is no recklessness. It's all planned out. But here's my point, is that Carla was up on vacation with her husband celebrating their anniversary, and she seen this beautiful sign that said reckless love on it. And she goes, that'll be perfect for my dining room. And she spent a whole lot of money on this thing. And she put the nail in the wall. She's getting ready to hang it up. And God said to her, I am not reckless. So now she's at a crossroads. My flesh likes it. I just spent money on it. I did the work of putting the nail in the wall, but God's voice just told me I'm not reckless. She said, I had to take it and put it up and never use it because I'm not going to hang that up. See, this is where it comes to where am I going to obey God? Or am I going to allow it to change his character and promote it even though I know it's a falsehood. Listen to me, it's very important because when God speaks to you and you say, oh, well, it's no big deal. I already said a prayer, I'll be fine. You just disobeyed God. And really, when you stop and think about it, 99% obedience is disobedience. And that's why we have to understand in our position with God, 
Christ obeyed perfectly for us. Oh yeah, we can be positionally saved, but are we being practically sanctified? As he tests us, as he tries us, as he proves us, when we hear his voice, there becomes the test. I'm not reckless. Oh yeah, but it's a good song. We can still sing it. No, God's not reckless. And you would be passing that on to the next generation. We're supposed to be passing truth on. And if you pass on a, a song that says God is reckless, the next generation is going to think that God is reckless and you can go do whatever you want instead of having the spirit that gives you self-control, a sound mind. Very important to understand. God's speaking to us. He loves us. He died. He gave us 100% perfect obedience and position but in a practical way we have to learn to walk this out to be witnesses that are giving correct testimony to others so that they can come to salvation we're passing the gospel to others we're passing it to the next generation and when we pass them falsehoods we pass them tradition. We pass them basic principles of this world. When we pass them psychology or philosophies, sociology, we're leading them into a ditch. But when we pass them the Word of God, the truth of God, by the Spirit of God, we can trust that God will continue to build His church and the gates of hell will not prevail. It will not be a false church. So commitment. Have you committed to God? If you hear His voice, you will obey God? The best you can by the power of the Spirit? Very important to understand. He actually says, he actually says to Peter, Have I not chose you chose you? And one of you is a I've chose you the twelve, and one of you is a devil. How would you like this as your uh, uh, epitaph on your on your tombstone? And, of course, he spoke of concerning Judas Iscariot. That's his, that's his tombstone. Everybody knows that he's the one that betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. He wanted his food. He wanted his physical. 30 pieces of silver. He wanted the physical. He was pursuing the physical first and the spiritual second. He wouldn't turn loose. He wouldn't hear the voice of God and follow. And you'd say, oh, well, why would God, who knows everything, let the treasury box be in Judas's hand? When he knows he's after physical, because he's testing him, he's trying him, he's proving him, he's giving him every opportunity to surrender to the work of the Spirit in his life and choose not to steal out of the box. Choose not to ever where he looks. Remember, Mary Magdalene comes in and washes Jesus' feet with perfume. And he's like, ah, what is going on? We could have sold this for lots of money. Why? Because he wanted the money. He wasn't concerned about Jesus' burial and resurrection. He wasn't concerned about the adoration and the worship that was going on. He was just wanting to get what I can get out of this. And what I can get to feed my belly. And if you're like that, if you're still there, you're refusing to commit to God and you're in a place that's very scary because this is a spiritual life where you have to ask God to allow His Spirit to bring life and you be crucified with Christ. 
and you begin to do the will of God because of this life that we've been given. And I kind of believe that not just did he choose 12 and one of them was a devil, but everybody that rejects Jesus is of the devil. They're antichrist. And we all have that free will. But do not let somebody lie to you and tell you that just because you said a prayer and believe that now you're going to heaven. Because there's litmus test after litmus test after litmus test to test us and to try us and to prove us to see if we even have the Spirit of God. And if you have not the Spirit of God, you are not God's. You're not even in His family. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. These are the ones that are being spoken to by God in His Word. Listen, if you read the Word of God and you go, I don't understand none of it, then you need to ask God why. Because it's spiritually discerned, and the Spirit of God will help you understand this word. Now, that doesn't mean that every time you read it, you understand it perfectly. It doesn't mean that you're not saved if you don't understand it. But it might mean that you're saved and your eyes are in the wrong place, and the Spirit of God is not revealing it to you. Why? Because you're not ready to obey it. You're not ready to commit to it. So why would God commit that to you if you're not going to do anything with it for His glory? So He just keeps your eyes closed so that you don't know truth and disobey it and harden your heart and confirm it and end up in a bad place. We'll get to that in the chapter. Let's look. I probably bit off more than I can chew or that we will chew. It's chapter 7. We're moving on. We're going to change gears a little bit. Chapter 7 actually covers the last six months of Jesus' life. The last six months of his ministry we're going to see. It actually, and John's going to spend 15 chapters on it. That's a lot. He's going to spend 15 chapters. Now, I'm, doing, I'm working on a sermon over 15, okay? I don't know why. 15. You might do a Google on it. Hezekiah was given 15 extra years during his testing and trying and improving in his life. And there's several places in the Bible that talks of 15, 15 days, 15 years. And I'm like, what is up with 15? I got to figure this out. Do you guys ever do you guys ever do that? I mean, are you reading the Bible and you're going, what's that about? And you want to search it out just so you can know the truth of God, to understand the heart of God, to come closer to God so that you can go out and tell people about God. See, this is what the Spirit wants to do when it bears fruit in your life. It's not about sitting in a pews on Sunday and hearing something that's exciting and about somebody that you don't know. See, we can talk about the president and we go, I know the president because I've seen him on TV, but we really don't know him. We know the presentation of him, but right here we have the heart of God. The heart of the one who spoke and created the heavens and the earth, and he lives in us. And we can know him personally. And we can hear his voice and follow him. And that where he is, we will be also. That's amazing to me. I don't, I don't know about you guys. It's just totally amazing. So let's look. We're going to start looking at the last seven months of his life, or excuse me, six months. I'll tell you in a minute how we get that. 
getting a little warm up here. John 7, verse 1. Now remember, 6 is the number of man. We just covered 666. And now we have to make this decision. Where can we go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And now we can move into 7. And the enemy is going to come and he's going to start trying to give you counsel, earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom. And you have to choose to hear the voice of God and follow the word of God and the truth of God, or you will end up out of time with God and still living in the flesh doing your own thing. Seven is how we do this. Eight, we get to a new beginning when we start drinking of the water. We'll get there when I get there. After these stains, metatata, he uses this a lot. He actually uses it in Revelation. This is one of John's sayings, metatata, after these things. It's transitional. Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea or Jewry, King James, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, <clears throat> Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Then Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not yet going up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. When he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as, as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said, He is good. Others said, No, on the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do the will, he shall know concerning the doctrine. Excuse me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks for himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him <coughs> is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The people answered and said to them, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work, and you marvel. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Let's pray. Father, we desire to know your word so we can judge with righteous judgment. We know it's a 
walk of faith. It's a spiritual life, and we should not judge according to the appearance, but according to fruit, fruit of the Spirit, fruit of your word, fruit of what you're doing. Pour out your Spirit on us and help us to understand what you would say to the church today and help us to be doers and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. John 7, verse 1. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee. Galilee, that's a region. For he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Now, he's talking of both of the regions. Galilee is a region. That's where Capernaum is. If you'll remember, that's where he's at now. He spoke when we closed in 6. He was in the synagogue when he taught these things. When we started the chapter, though, he was where? At the Feast of Passover in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is the Judean region. So you got two different regions. As long as he's over in Galilee, where they won't come because they think that nobody over there knows anything, uh, he's fine. And that's where he's going to stay. If he goes back to Jerusalem, he knows they're seeking to kill him. So he doesn't go back into that region of Judea, which means praise, or he shall be praised. So uh, he's in Galilee, the region of Galilee, um, of course, where we feel like he made his Capernaum his, um, his home base. And Galilee means the heathen circle or circuit So he is ministering uh, to those people there. It's where he was from. And he didn't want to walk, which is peripateo, which is, it's it's actually, it's like to tread all about or your your way you're living. Uh, It's your life. Let me see if I can find peripateo here. To tread all about. Your walk at large. It's what you're occupied with. He's occupied with the heathen circle because he knows that those of the intelligentsia at Hebrew High in Jerusalem are seeking to kill him. And then verse 2 Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. It was nigh. It's getting ready to happen. In fact, if you if you wanted to see these, you could look at Matthew, and you can write this down if you want. Matthew 15 through 18, Mark 7 through 9, and Luke 9. And it's the same six-month period that he's with his boys, and they have the Mount of Transfiguration and all these things, and they're moving toward uh, uh, going to Jerusalem, but he's doing ministry and working on testing and trying and proving and teaching the disciples so that when he's gone, they will know he's still with them. And so now he says that this feast is at a hand. And of course, it's one of the three main feasts that every adult male had to go to by the law. Okay, there's three of them, the Passover, the Feast of Ingathering. We call it Pentecost. It's 50 days, uh, Pentecost, where the church was birthed. And then the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. You can read about this in... um, Leviticus 23, you know what, let's just go there, Leviticus 23, uh, they sometimes called the Feast of Booths, and they still celebrate this today um, in remembrance of 
being delivered out of Egypt, and, and they were in the wilderness for 40 years, Feast of Booths, and they're looking up at the stars because they had temporary houses, temporary booths, temporary tabernacles. But while they were uh, nomadic and they were moving for 40 years, God provided for them. There, you could read about it in Deuteronomy 8. Their sandals didn't wear out. He provided manna from heaven. He provided quail. He provided water from a rock. And what we're finding is all these things are, are indicative of us feeding off of Jesus, the bread of life, because God is a perfect provider. While you and I now believe in Jesus, we're still here without a home. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our tabernacle and our true mansion is in heaven. These earthly tents we, we find are, are, are not permanent. This is not where my spirit's going to live for eternity. This is where I'm in an earthly tent, an earthly tabernacle. And so they were supposed to be uh, at the Feast of Tabernacles, taking their children on a journey, bringing them to Jerusalem. And then they're having these booths and they're telling them all that God did. And they're giving the testimony to their children so that they can pass along the faithfulness of God. The same way that we are supposed to be doing when we rise up and we sit down and we have every moment where we're training our children and every moment is a training period and it should be focused on training them about God. Yet we've been duped into training them about what the world is doing so they can be successful instead of so that they can go to heaven. Because this life is about life and death. It's not about success here. It's about coming to know Jesus the Christ. So it's 2333. We'll do a study one day on this. I've done a study on it before, but literally Jesus fulfills every one of the feasts in his death, burial, and resurrection. He fulfills all of the feasts, and they are completed. The, the, the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles that we're looking at looks back at the wilderness, but it also looks forward to our mansion in heaven, John 14. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not true, I would have told you. And where I go, I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, you may come and be also. It's a place where we will live in the future. I believe it's fulfilled, but it doesn't have its complete fulfillment until we get there across the finish line. But it's already been fulfilled in Christ because no longer are we under the law keeping these things. But it's not complete yet. 33 tells us about this one. Seventh month was a, was a big month. The first day they're supposed to blow the trumpet. That's going to be the trump that sounds and, 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 and we're caught up in the air in the rapture of the church. Tenth day of that month, they were supposed to do the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement, uh, or Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement is the only one that wasn't a celebration. All the rest of the feasts were always whole weeks of holiness, of worshiping and celebrating the goodness of God. But the Day of Atonement was a scary day. They were supposed to afflict themselves They were because it was about paying for sin. See, Jesus fulfilled that, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All of it looked forward to when he would come and make us at one again with God. Look at the word. Atonement is at one month. When you believe in him, now you're at one with God. Again, in union as his child and his spirit is washing and cleansing you. 
23.33 tells us, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month, there's that fifteen I'm talking about, shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. I wrote that down somewhere. It's not customary in the King James. Where did I write that down at? Servitude, servile is the word, servile. There it is. No servile work. In other words, the normal service. For seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. So there's burnt offerings. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a sacred assembly, and you shall do no servile work on it. So they were supposed to be resting. They were supposed to be looking up at the stars. They were supposed to be having great joy. They're supposed to be telling their children about it and remembering how he brought them through this wilderness. And what else would they remember? They would remember that the first generation in unbelief did not go in. And only Caleb and Joshua and all those that were 20 and under end up going in. So all of that would be shared. That's why they were there for 40 years, the number of judgment. And it would be shared with the children that you need to believe and trust God and obey God. And when you hear his voice, follow God. When he speaks is when you're supposed to obey. Don't wait and find out later that you've ignored the voice of God. When he speaks, obey him. So they have this holy convocation. And we're going to see that in chapter 8 of John, is it chapter 8 or is it still in 7? Let me look here. Chapter, oh, no, it's chapter 7, 37. On the last great day of the feast, they pour out. They, took, they, they, they began to have this practice, not just to have the fire, the burnt offering, but they would take and pour out great amounts of water. Great amounts of water to commemorate the water coming from the rock. And, and they poured it out. And Jesus cries out to them in 37 uh, 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 and says, Come to me if you thirst, and I will give you rivers of living water. Because he was the water from the rock. And they didn't get it because they were looking at physical. They weren't understanding the spiritual. They weren't listening to God. They were listening to teachers teachers you're going to see in a minute the teachers passed down tradition the teachers passed down what they heard from god the teachers just kept repeating the same thing and if you didn't repeat what they said then they wouldn't accept you but the spirit of god is speaking to each one personally and we need to understand that in the church today not getting out of hand because we always want to make sure it lines up with the character of god it lines up with what God has already said, what he's already doing. Because if it's new, it's not from God. But you have a personal relationship, and the Spirit of God is teaching you. And it should line up with this word. But his children don't want to hear his voice. His children don't want to listen to his voice. They don't want to read what he has already said. He's already spoken. It's a done deal. It's finished. He doesn't have anything new to say to us. We just need to say, you know, it's kind of like when you tell your kid to do something and they don't do it, and you go, what did I say to you? What did I tell you to do? And you're waiting for them to remember. 
Well, see, the Holy Spirit comes and he gives you remembrance of all that he said. He, he reveals everything that's been said. He teaches you what God is doing. He reveals it to you if, we'll see in a minute, if you will to do it. Anyone who wills to do it. So the Feast of the Tabernacles, it's at hand. It's drawing nigh. It's one of the feasts where everybody has to go up. Listen, you can go up out of obligation. You can go up out of your own flesh and your own works. Or you can go up by the power of the Spirit the time that God tells you to go up. Watch what happens here. Be careful. His brothers, verse 3... There was something else I wanted to bring up, but I, I don't know where it's at. I don't know what it was. Through verse 3, his brothers, his brethren, therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. And here's their reason why. For no one does anything in secret while him, he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And then we have the commentary, verse 5, for even his brothers did not believe in him. What? Now listen to me, because this is, this is, this is where the rub is going to meet the road in your life. And I'll get back to brothers, but listen, there's a stronger point here. There's people in the church who do not believe in Jesus, and they counsel you to do things with earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom instead of with the Spirit of God. And it's easier in the flesh to follow those brethren because you don't have to listen to God's voice. Listen to me. These guys don't know Jesus. They don't believe in Jesus, so they have not the Spirit of God. But they're telling Jesus, they're telling God what to do. This is religion. Go up, because if you want to be made known, they're trying to force him to get out of there. They don't even believe in him. See, if they were trying to help God... They would want to hear what he has to say. What do we do next? Where do we go next? What should we be doing, Lord? What is your will, Lord? I want to know your will. I want to follow your will. I want to be led by your spirit. They're trying to tell God what to do. Now, now there's another point there that, 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 that uh, Mary was not a perpetual virgin. We already seen it in chapter 2. There's, he's got brothers. These would be his half-brothers. 2.12, I think, says mentions his brothers after this he went down to Capernaum his he his mother and his brothers and his disciples but look at Matthew 13 in Matthew 13 you're given their names yet there are those who will say that Mary was a perpetual virgin she never had any more children listen Jesus was born of a virgin Jesus was was born with the father overshadowing the holy spirit overshadowing Mary so that he, she, Jesus didn't have the same father as you and I, the father of lies, the devil, who deceived in the garden. What did I say to turn to? 13.53. Did I say that out loud? I didn't have it marked. 13.55. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Do you know what Mary means? 
It's not what you think it means. Mary means their rebellion. Mary, as the woman given the birth, represents our rebellion. And then the Son of God is born in her and redeems, and she's saved through childbirth even. And his brothers, James, remember James? He wrote the book of James. Called him Camel Knees. You know why they call him Camel Knees? He did not believe in his brother until after the resurrection. He became the unofficial head of Jerusalem Church, and then he was praying so much on his knees because Jesus said, My house should be a house of prayers, that it burned calluses on his knees in the hot sand. And they called him Camel Knees. That's James. You know, chapter 1 of Acts in verse 14, his mother and his brothers were there. They believed after the resurrection. Joseph, or Joseph, which would be probably Joseph II, since his uh, stepdad was Joseph, who married Mary, means he will add James uh, is, is uh, Jacob, actually, deceiver, supplanter. Joseph is Joseph, which means he will add. And then you have uh, Simon, which is Herd, Simeon. And then you have Judas, which is the book of Jude. See, they didn't go by Judas anymore afterwards. Once Judas was found to be the betrayer, now his name is Jude, and he wrote the book of Jude by the power of the Holy Spirit. So you have his brothers, you have his half-brothers there. And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these stains? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Unbelief, unbelief. If you don't believe, then the Spirit of God can't move. It's not limiting God. It's just that he will not do that because you're not believing that he's God. Now, if you want to see some more, like where Jeremiah preached 40 years, number of judgment, and nobody believed him, never one convert. You can go back and look at Jeremiah, what was it, 12? Jeremiah 12, read that chapter. You'll see what's going on today. 12, uh, 15, his own brothers, his own family, the people rejected Jeremiah the same way. He was telling them the truth. See, this is where we got to get to is that in our culture today, in our churches today, in our world today, just like it was then, if you didn't say and repeat and parrot the exact same thing that the teachers were saying, then you become the deceiver. But see, God is always revealing and uncovering and opening up new truth as he goes. He's showing us what he's doing, and he wants us to get involved. And the devil wants to keep it covered up. He doesn't want truth to get out. That's why he shuts us up. But God is always revealing what he's doing to those who have a heart or they will to do the will of God. We're going to see that in a minute. He tells us this. I get a little excited. Just let me calm down. His brothers don't believe in him, but later they will. You can read about that in Acts 1.14. They're going to be there when the church is birthed. And so right now, listen, his brothers are giving him earthly, central, demonic wisdom and how to build his kingdom. Oh, but see, Jesus isn't going 
watch what happens. He doesn't go there to do signs so people will come to salvation because signs don't produce salvation. The Spirit of God does when you believe. Signs follow those who have this Spirit. Listen, signs will follow because you'll see their lives change. You'll see them change their mind. You'll see them in tune with God, in the timing with God, in the will of God, doing the work of God. And so you're going to see supernatural. But if you put the supernatural first, which is what they're telling don't do it in secret. Go show them your works and they'll see it. And then everybody will believe. And then what will they do? They'll grab him. He'll be out of the will of God because he's being led by the Spirit of God. But they are giving him earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom. Why? Why? How do we know that? Because they don't believe in him, so they're not saved, so they don't have the wisdom of God. But they want him to become maybe famous or known, so maybe they can glean from it in their physical bellies. Go on up. Get this thing taken care of. They don't believe in him. How does Jesus answer? Six, because he's answering man and their earthly, central demonic wisdom. Then Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. What? Listen, Jesus is led by the Spirit. He's doing the will of the Father. He's not going up to Jerusalem till when? The tenth and the son. The next Passover, it's six months later. That's when he's going in on the perfect timeline of God because he knows what he's called for. He knows what he's supposed to be doing. He's being led by the Spirit of God, and he's going to arrive on the 14th, or excuse me, the 10th in the Son, what we call Palm Sunday, at the perfect time. And he's going to come through the front gate with everybody yelling, Hosanna, 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 which means save now. But he's not going up now at the tabernacles out in the open where everybody can grab him and try to make him save now. It's very important that we understand this because, yes, God is doing it. Yes, God said, but you also have to know God's timing. When? See, God calls us. And yes, you're going to be, this is your gifting. This is what he's going to do in your life. And he'll reveal it to you. But then he begins to prepare you. Well, how does he prepare you? He tests you. He tries you. He proves you. He washes and cleanses you as you grow in a relationship. And then he moves you into the perfect timing of that position and place so that you can fulfill your ministry. You can walk in the anointing of God. And people will try to get you to rush out and do things according to their timetable. And men love to listen to men. We love to listen to them. Oh, yeah, that's great. You've been saved, and I see God using you. Get out there. Don't just listen to men. Ask God. Ask God what he would say. Ask God what his timing is. Ask God what his way is. Don't do it according to men, or you end up the same way Paul ended up. Well, what do you mean? Well, he was taught by Gamaliel. He was, he was confined and in bondage to the system of the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin. He's hating and wanting to kill everybody of the way. Until he meets Jesus on his road to Damascus. And then what does he do? He hears his voice. Who art thou, Lord? And then he begins to obey him perfectly. He's led into town blind. 
And then he begins to grow. But he didn't go right away. You can actually read about it in the first chapter of Galatians. He was three years in Syria. Then he ends up, oh my goodness, 15 years in Tarsus. There's that 15. We'll read about it. I might go there here in a few minutes. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. I get a little excited. I'm an excitable boy. You've got to calm down. We'll wait for the Spirit to, where was we at? So be careful who you listen to. Just because they say they're brethren don't mean they have the Spirit of God. Just because they sit in the church with you, you have to test the spirits. You have to say, wait a minute, is this person being led by the Spirit of God? Because if they're being led by the Spirit of God, now I know they're my brother and I can listen to their counsel and then I can wage my own war by their counsel. But if they're not being led by the Spirit of God, then they're trying to motivate me in the flesh to do something so they don't have to do what they're supposed to do. Believe in God. Receive the Spirit. Surrender and be trained themselves. And see, now the body gets all messed up when people aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. Be careful. And, of course, the living word incarnate, Jesus, sees what they're doing. And he says, my time has not yet come. Oh, his time is coming when he's going to go up to Jerusalem, 10th and Nisan, six months later. But your time is always ready. What are you talking about? Your time is always ready. Let's read a little bit more. Verse 7. The world cannot hate you. But it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. Anybody getting what, getting what he's saying? Listen, their time is always ready. They don't believe in him as the Messiah. The world doesn't hate them. The world doesn't hate their own. In fact, if he was a false religion, they would let him run all over the place. But he's speaking the truth. So the devil, the whole world underneath the sway of the wicked one, wants to crush him out quickly. These guys don't believe in him, so they don't have the Spirit of God, so the world's not going to hate them. They're ready to go anytime, anyplace, anywhere, because they're not going to speak up and be a light that shines in their darkness, so it's not going to bother them. But when Jesus goes up there, they're going to automatically be mad because he's light in their darkness. He's exposing their evil deeds. And the same thing happens when you are led by the Spirit, you know your calling and your election. You're listening to what God is saying. And you begin to share truth as a witness and a testimony of what God has done, is doing, and going to do. And you speak it no matter what other people say. You're shining light in their darkness. And you know what? They'll scatter like roaches when you turn a light on. They'll scatter like roaches. They don't want to hear it. But if somebody wants to, it wills to do the will of God, they will listen. And then you know where the Spirit of God is working at. It's the people who listen to what you're saying. It's the people that don't just listen, but they become doers of the Word. Then you know that the Spirit of God is being allowed to work in their life and lead their life and transform their life by the renewing of the mind, that they've surrendered and they're being led by God's will and not their own Stinking flesh, building their own little kingdom for their own glory. Which is the quickest way to get God to leave the room. Is do it in the flesh. Do it for yourself. So he says, my time is not yet, but your time is always ready. Go on up there. They're not going to hate you. 
They cannot hate you. You're part of the world. But it hates me because he gives testimony. That's all he's doing when he teaches is he's given testimony of the kingdom of God and the truth of God. And the, he's, he's speaking the word of God and it exposes their works, their, their ergon, their works, what they're always occupied with, that it's evil. It's their effort or occupation. It's their acts, really. See, because it gets you right back down to the acts. There it is again. Acts. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. When you come as a child of God, now the Holy Spirit leads you and does the acts through you as you obey. And you're not coming to do your own work. You're coming as an ambassador of Christ, as if Christ is pleading through you. Be reconciled to God. That's why we come to people. We're not looking to lift us up. We're not looking to lift up Harvest Chapel or Greg. We're looking to lift up Jesus. And if he be lifted up, if he be glorified, he will draw all men who receive that testimony to himself. Because that's what he came for. That's the will of God, that all men would come to repentance, change their mind, and go the other way. Start walking in life instead of living in death. So the world hates Jesus. And when you begin to share truth, it'll hate you, but not because of who you are, but because of who he is and because you're being a witness and giving testimony of what he's already said. See, if you make up your own little message, make up your own little message, just because Jesus said it, don't make it true. You make up that message, people are going to gather. They're coming in. They want to hang out with you because it tickles their ears. It has a form of godliness, but it denies the power thereof. Andy Stanley is a heretic. And there's a bunch of them out there, and we've already been told that. If we learn the Word of God, we know they're out there, and we're supposed to test the spirits. Now, there are those that will say, listen, and I know his dad is very sad with him because his dad wanted him to take his church, Chuck Stanley, one of the, one of the, one of the better teachers you're going to find out there, um, that always has his Bible with him, that's always pointing at the Scripture, that's always saying it is written, that's always pointing to the testimony of the Word of God. But there's no perfect men. But there's a perfect God who has called you. And you can listen to him. And you don't need anybody else to teach you. The Spirit of God has given you an anointing. I won't get ahead of myself. We'll go there, though, in a minute. Now, on verse 8, interestingly enough, notice 8, it's a new beginning. He's given them a new beginning. You go up to the feast. I am not yet. Now, there's some text that has a note there that says that's not there. But see, Jesus, listen to me. Listen to me, because I heard some other people say some really crazy stuff. Listen to me. Jesus never broke the law. And I heard some other people say that Jesus isn't going up, and now he's lying, and now he's compromising. No, he says, my time has not yet come. I'm going up, but I'm not going to go in your crowd trying to force me with your earthly, sinful, demonic wisdom. You don't even believe in me. You want me to go up and do some lines, or some, you want me to go up and do some signs and wonders and present who I am, and then everybody grab me and take me as king, and it's not my time yet. So he says, I'm not going up yet. He's going to go up secretly. We're going to see that in the text, but he's not going to go up in their crowd. 
If you read the other Gospels, like I was saying earlier, in Matthew 15 through 18, Mark 7 through 9, and in Luke 9, you see that he's going up there slowly. He set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. He knows his timing. He knows his calling. He knows what he's supposed to be doing. And do you know what you're supposed to be doing? So he tells them, you go up. I am not yet going up to the feast. But obviously he's going because he's going to obey the law. For my time has not yet fully come. It's not ready to expire or be fulfilled. When he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. So they went ahead and listened to him. See, that's why I said it was a new beginning for them. They're beginning to listen to him. They're going. He told them to go, so now they're going, and they're going to go on up, but he stays in Galilee in the heathen circle. They go. They're starting to listen to what Jesus said, and when you begin listening to what Jesus said, you begin training your heart to always listen to Jesus and not to man. You train your heart to obey God, and then you'll obey God in the very hard times, in the times when you don't know what to do, like when you hit the wrong nail with a hammer, what comes out of your heart. So automatically, when things go crazy, you're just living your life that you've been trained to live for Christ. And the grace of God holds you. I've seen that in the life of Brian White this week. When his wife of 43 years passes away, and the pastor at Dayton said when they five minutes later they stepped off the elevator there in Carmel and all they heard was wailing everywhere because Carla had passed away and all the families there and when he steps into the room it's Brian who's ministering to everybody else now you would think the one who it's his wife would be the one that's going wailing but since he knows the word of God, he knows the will of God, he knows that she closed her eyes and opened them in the presence of Jesus, no matter how much grief and hurt there is, he knows that God uses death to bring life in others, and so he begins to minister to the living. It's just the default button, really. And I don't mean to say it that way, because that sounds terrible, but your true heart will come out under pressure. So you hit the wrong nail, and you... Blurt out the cuss word. Somebody pulls out in front of you and you show them your tall finger. See, that's when the, when the pressure's on, your real heart, the overflow of it comes out. And so then you see Brian, he, he says, I'm going to do the funeral. And you see him ministering. It was so amazing. I never seen this happen at a funeral, but they let everybody talk about it and come up and say things. And then he said, all you children come up here. He called all the children up and about 40 kids come up and sat on the stage and he talked to them about heaven. And it was actually an amazing ministry. But see, he's still grieving. He gets to the end of what he wanted to say. And instantly, I know the Lord put on my heart to start praying for him because I could see he was stuck. He started to tear up. He didn't know where to go because he was at the end and he has to start grieving now. And he said, Deke, Deke, I don't know how to get out of here. Get me out of here. Deke has been his assistant for years. And Deke come and got him. He said, okay, and that concludes the service. And he just came over and got him as a servant. And he knows his position to be the servant to Brian. And it was an amazing, it's the best funeral I've ever been to. I've been to a lot of them. 
When the first year I got saved, I went to nine of them, following Tom Camp and learning how, and I can start crying thinking about it, seeing people's lives destroyed. And never, never before had I been to a funeral because I, who cares? I don't care about you. I'm over here living my life. I don't care if you're hurting and in pain. I'll punch you in the face. That's just who I was. I could care less about you. I was going to get what I got, and what I didn't take, I would break it. But when Jesus comes in, your life changes. And if your life is not changing, you are resisting. You are rejecting. You're in, you're in a place where you might harden your heart and never receive him. You have to listen to the word of God and begin to obey it. And nobody does it perfectly, but it's still the direction of our hearts. So there he is in the heathen circle. He remained where he was at. He wasn't motivated and moved by what they were saying because he knew that he was led by the Spirit and his time was in God's hand and everything he was doing was on God's divine timetable to die and fulfill the Passover festival on the 14th in the sun at twilight and then raise again on the 17th. Verse 10. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret, stealthily. Kryptos is the word. Kryptos. Concealed, private, hidden. So, again, here it is. Not with this big crowd of unbelievers, not with these guys trying to make me do something, being led by the Spirit, not trying to promote myself, but lifting up the Father. That's what he's doing. He's doing the Father's will. And so when you obey, you're definitely glorifying the Father. Father, glorify me with the glory that I had before, I was before when I was with you, he's going to say, when he prays in John 17. But he's glorifying the Father. Then the Spirit comes and glorifies Jesus, who's glorifying the Father. They're not trying to take credit for it. It's the Father who spoke. It's the Father in the family who's leading, who sends his word to heal the land. So he goes up because he's going to obey the law. But he doesn't want to go up with the wrong crowd at the wrong time. Oh, he could have but he's in the will of God. His brothers are up there, and here he comes, I think, and I believe, it sounds like maybe not, but I believe he's got his disciples with him because he's training them. He's teaching them. They're, they're, they believe in him. We just seen it in 667. Where can we go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So he's discipling them. He's training them. They're obediently listening to him. They're not trying to tell Jesus what to do. Peter learned from that when he said, get behind me, Satan. They're learning now that you can't tell him what to do. You have to listen and change your mind and follow because he's not changing his mind. He's the unchanging God. He's on a perfect timetable. It's you and I who must decrease as he increases. We must change our mind and be led out of this deception that we're in into truth, into all truth by a shepherd who loves his sheep and who died for us. 
So he goes up uh, stealthily, quietly, not openly, not making a lot of noise, probably telling the boys, be still, don't make a bunch of commotion. They want to kill me. And it's not my time yet. It's not fully come. We have six months we have to get through, but we still want to minister. We still want to teach. I know, I know you're going, yeah, but, but he's God and he can just make them stop. You're not getting the point. He doesn't want the attention. He's not doing it openly because it's a work of the Spirit. It's not about, let's make a bunch of dust and when people see the dust, then they'll come running and we'll go, it's Jesus. That's circus on TV. That's not true spirit moving in people from the inside out. If you go read Isaiah 53, which we're going to probably, it's our scripture memory verse, 53, 6, but every bit of it about it is there's no comeliness about him. Comeliness we don't use anymore. There was nothing that could be desired when you looked at him. It wasn't that he was dressed in today's clothing and he looked like the, the tallest guy in the room and, and he was strong and buff and everything was going on with him. You're like, man, I'm drawn to that dude. No, it was the words that he spoke. Because his words are spirit and his words are life. Why? Because the Father spoke them and he learned from the Father and he brings them to you and me as an ambassador, as a savior, as one who has been sent. And then he sends you and me. He says, I send you out into a mist of wolves. Nevertheless, be wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove. Just give them the word of God. Know my timing. Know what I've called you to do. As the Father sent me, I also send you. See, we're ambassadors for Christ. We, what? Think about the ambassadors for America, any president. You know what? They don't go over there and go, I've been thinking about this, and I've made up a plan, and this is what we're going to do. No, they say, President so-and-so has sent me to tell you, and then they tell them what the president said. That's what an ambassador does. So we learn the word, we learn the truth as an ambassador pleading, as if Christ is pleading through us, be reconciled to God. There's only one way. It's through death. Christ's death and resurrection, and then your death, and then you can be resurrected into the newness of life by the Spirit of God when you change your mind and you learn truth and stop walking in lie. So as ambassadors, verse 11, and here he is, he's up there secret. He doesn't want people to know he's there, but he's definitely there because it's the law that all adult males have to go to these three feasts. And this is a big one. It's about our new home. Verse 11, then the Jews... And this is probably the ruling authorities because of the content. Sought him at the feast and said, where is he? Now listen to me. It's important because if you really continue in this chapter, and if you've read it, I have it uh, over in uh, 732. Is that right? The chief priest sends officers to arrest him. Listen. See, they're, they want to kill him. Their plot is already developed. And what happens? Because you say, well, if he's God, then he doesn't have to worry about it. You're right, he doesn't. Because if you look down in verse 46, the guards come back and they say, where is he? And they go, nobody ever spoke like this. They're in Duluth. They're, they're, they're like, 
We're half delusional. We don't even know. We're just listening to his words and we walked away. We couldn't arrest him. We couldn't do what you said. So God is sovereignly in control of that. Where is it? The officer said, no man ever spoke like this man. Notice it's his words. No man ever looked like this man. No man ever, he got big biceps. We were scared of him. He had a sword. No, just his words made them walk away without fulfilling the earthly authority's direction. Listen, that's very important. Are you listening to his word? It wasn't that he said, I got there and there was a legions of angels. Can't wait to get there. We'll get there soon. Let's look. Verse 11. So the Jews, they sought him because they want to arrest him. And they said, where is he? Because they knew he has to come because he's a devout Jew that would go to all the feast. He's a rabbi. And they've been waiting. Why are they waiting? Ever since chapter 5. We'll get there in a minute. Verse 12, and there was much complaining, much murmuring. There's that word murmuring again. We've seen it in chapter 6. A murmur or to uh, 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 grumble and grudge. And it actually just means saying things in a low tone, whispering. So we look at it and we think that they're grumbling, they're complaining, they're mad. But it's really talking about just whispering low because they don't want to, nobody to know that they're talking about Jesus. Because the ruling authorities want to arrest him, but they've already said, if anybody believes in this man, you will be kicked out of the synagogue. You'll be removed. You'll lose all of your historicity, all of everything. And see, the lineage of their family and how they came from Abraham and everything was huge to them. You don't want to lose your family, but God's given you a new family. Not one born underneath the first Adam, but one underneath the second Adam. One that has a future and a hope. One that brings salvation and life. And yet we want to hang on to the old. And we want to keep following tradition. And my pastor says, and my church says, and this is what we do. What does the Bible say? What were the words that he spoke? Don't be afraid. To listen to the Spirit of God as long as the Word of God lines up with what you're doing. And there is the warning to be careful not to twist Scripture. It's a good name for a band, Twisted Scripture, but it's not a good name for your life. Surprised there's not one called that. There's one nine-inch nails. That's because there were nine-inch nails in those days when they crucified Christ. See, the demons behind all this secular music, they know exactly what they're proclaiming and open, openly, stealthily, they're proclaiming everything that they've done. And they keep preaching it into the hearts of unbelievers through music and books and literature. And, and you think, what's going on? Well, it's lies and demonic influence and oppression and people keep following it instead of listening to the truth and obeying what god has said which is evidence of true salvation and new life so there's much complaining among the people concerning him and what do they say greg well well, we don't know completely but some of them said he is good others said no on the contrary he deceives the people Again, however, no one spoke openly 
of him for fear of the Jews, the ruling authorities. They had said, you're going to get kicked out. If you believe in this guy, you're done. You're done. You can't follow that. You can't believe that. What's that called? That's called death culture. That's the pressure of the ruling authorities, the government. It's the pressure that if you believe this, then you are going to be canceled. You're done. It's death culture. Same thing today. They act like that Jesus, they're saying Jesus is the deceiver. He came to reveal the kingdom of God. He came to, to present the true kingdom of God because they were deceived and lost in following Antichrist. So he came to expose it and to bring about truth. He's truth incarnate. He brung the heart of God down, full of grace and truth. And yet the testimony becomes that he's the one that is deceiving. Isn't that what's going on in the world today? Evil becomes good and good becomes evil? Oh, if you say marriage is a man and a woman, then you're evil. You're bad. That's narcissistic to say you know the truth. If you say gender is not fluid, then you're a racist. I don't even know how that works. Just think about it. You're the one that is bad. You're the one that's deceiving when you tell the truth. Jesus is telling the truth, but because of the spirit of this age, they're calling him the deceiver, which is the word planeo, which means to cause to err or roam from safety or truth, their truth, their earthly, central, demonic wisdom. Be very careful what spirit you're following. You could be following Andy Stanley or Joe Olstein or Rick Warren. A bunch of the heretics that are out there just because they got a big church. Don't forget that broad is the way to destruction. The reason people are listening is because they are taking something out or adding something to. And people love that. Doesn't mean that every person in these people's churches are not saved. But they're definitely deceived at the moment. If they're gods, they won't be lost because none were lost except for the son of perdition. So there's this back and forth and back and forth. And that's what always is. You present truth and there's going to be people that says that's a good word. And there's going to be people that say that's deception. There's going to be people that believe and people that don't believe. There's going to be people with the spirit that hears the will of God. And there's going to be people that says, ah, I'm just going to keep following my tradition and dressing good and thinking that because I said a prayer, I'm okay. Because they're afraid to speak up. Why were they trying to kill Jesus? Why did they kill all the apostles? Anybody know? Because they weren't afraid to speak up. They spoke the truth and they killed him. Jesus was truth and they killed him. It came against their lies. It exposed their evil deeds. They killed all the prophets because they spoke for God truth. But if the devil can keep you afraid to speak. 14. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. Listen, that's what he does. That's what he's going to do. But see, now he's, he's, he stealthily came in with his disciples. Now he just steps into his own temple there and he starts teaching. Now they're not going to kill him right in the front of all the crowd. He's good. He waits. But where does he wait for? To the middle. Malachi, I think somewhere in Malachi, it says, uh, uh, 
suddenly he will appear in your temple teaching. There's a, there's a verse like that. Now, see, I believe, now listen to me, I believe that the Antichrist wants to be like Jesus so much that during the middle of the seven-year tribulation, that's when he's going to come in, in the midst of it, in the middle of it, he's going to go sit down in the temple to be like Christ. And then the Jews are going to be the only ones now because that's what God is doing is finishing the work with the Jews. The church will be gone in the, tribu- or in the, in the rapture. And then three and a half years in the middle of the seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist will try to be God and go sit down and and mimic what Christ has done, and he'll sit down and start to teach. And the only ones that are going to get up and flee to Petra is the Jews because that's what God's doing is finishing his work, and he's bringing them back to belief. He's going to graft them back into the vine. And that verse right there, I think, actually reveals some of that. So he waits to about the middle of it, and he goes up and he begins in the temple to teach. He taught. What's he teaching about? The kingdom of God. The will of God. I'd like to have been there at that Bible study. Any of his Bible studies. 15. And what happened when he began to teach the Jews? This is the ruling authority, remember. It's the the Jews marveled. Thalmadzu. They're in wonder. They don't know how it's going on. It's, It's amazing them. Saying, how does this man know letters having never studied? How does he know letters? They're wondering, they're admiring, they're marveling. How does he know the letters? Grandma. How does he know grandma? It's the, it's the scriptures or what has been written, the Old Testament. They knew to look at it. People today don't know. Andy Stanley says you can jettison it, you can get rid of it. It's a Jewish book. How does he have the knowledge and understanding of the scriptures? Having never studied. You know what that means? It's the word learned. It actually, in the King James, it's the word learned. Having never learned. You know what they were? They were inclusive. Remember what, remember what they listened? They were saying, he didn't come and learn from Gamaliel. He didn't come and learn from our schools, Hebrew High. He didn't come to our schools. We know. We have the rosters. We know who was there. We know who we sent home. We know who we kept. Jesus, how does he know letters when he didn't learn from us? My goodness, guys, how upside downward is that? But that's what's going on in the church today. If you don't follow what they say, then you're the one that's the deceiver. You're the one that's the odd man out. If you're being led by the Spirit of God in the Word of God. Well, listen, he's already learned. Where did he learn from, Greg? Having never learned. He's been informed. He learned from the Father. He's told us that. He's getting ready to tell us that. Now, what did he say, though, over in verse or in chapter 6? Remember when he said, They will all, they shall all, verse 45, it is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God, by God. Then what does he say? Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned. That's the same word, studied. Same word, heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Jesus had heard and learned and brought the messenger, brought the message from the Father. That's how he can speak that way. How do I know that? Well, look at the next verse. 
he answers their question. Jesus answered them and said, my doctrine, my teaching, my instruction is not mine. But his who sent me. It's the Father's. He learned from the Father's. He heard it from the Father. He learned it from the Father. He brought it from the Father. Oh, yeah, I know he's God. He's 100% God, 100% man. But he's showing you the example of how we're supposed to hear. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and learn and understand and take the same message to others. And then he says in 17, if anyone, it's a whomsoever word, anyone. You don't have to be tall, short. You don't have to be edgy. Wills to do the will, to do his will. He shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. Notice there's a couple words there that are in italics. They're not in the actual text, but it still is talking about if you will to do the will of God, it'll be obvious. And if you will to make yourself famous, it'll be obvious. The fruit is clear when you're promoting self. If you will to do the will of God, and it, it, the word means to desire or inclined or intend to, and then it, you will to determination, you make a choice to be pleasing to God, it'll be obvious who you're trying to please, who you're trying to glorify, who you're lifting up, whose word you're teaching. It's the example for a teacher. Does the teacher teach from the word of God, and is he glorifying God? Or does the teacher teach from psychology and worldly, essential, demonic wisdom. He teaches what tickles ears, and all he wants to do is glorify himself. Oh, he keeps mentioning Jesus, but he's drawing people to himself. Not if Jesus be lifted up. Not if the word of God be lifted up. Listen to me once again, one of my favorite sayings. When the man of God looks into the word of God, and sees the Son of God, he's transformed by the Spirit of God into the image of God for what? The glory of God. Everything that's going on in our lives, if we've come to salvation, we want to obey God's roadmap of salvation to glorify God. And it's all about Jesus. So he tells them, if anyone wills, do you will to do? What will do you want to do? Do you want to do your own will? You got your own plans? You're building your own kingdom? You want to keep staying on your own flesh? Listen, everything going on in your life, everything has been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus if you believe in him. And you don't have any time anymore. You don't have any rights anymore. You have a choice you can make. You can choose that I'm going to have my time. Well, this is my time, and this is what I'm doing for me, and I need my rest. Listen, all of those are testing and trying and proving whose will you're doing. All of those are testing and trying and proving and they're evidence of who you're really living for and evidence that the Spirit of God is not controlling your life if you're not doing the will of God, if you're not desiring and determined in your heart that I don't care what it is, if God calls me to do it, I'm going to go do it because He's able. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to do it perfectly, but He didn't ask you to show up and be perfect. He asked you to be faithful. And he asked you to turn your heart toward home, toward his will, toward his desire and his good pleasure. And that is that everyone would come to salvation or to repentance and change their mind and believe in his son. Listen to me. It's all about the direction of your life and your heart. But if all you want to do is for yourself, then you're not living for God. 
you're being deceived by the enemy. And he comes to speak truth to lead us out. And the enemy is going to call him the deceiver when he's trying to lead us to safety and back into the family of God. Whose will do you want to do? He said, not my will, but thy will. And it's all about authority because his word is his authority. His name is his authority. 18, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. See if they make up their own words like Andy Stanley and the rest of these heretics. Oh, there's some great teachers out there. I'm just telling you, test the spirits. Be careful. The Holy Spirit's the one that teaches you. I don't have time to go to it, but you can. Oh, my goodness. Run out of time. You can go look. Go, go look at uh, uh, 112 of Galatians. I'll, I'll read it to you. 112 of Galatians. Paul wasn't taught by man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I, it came through the revelation, the uncovering of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to give his testimony. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. But he turned. He turned. He's talking about how he marvels so soon that they turn from the truth what's the other one first john i got these from michael the other night he gave them to me succinctly i was really surprised when he did that first john 2 24 therefore let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He has promised us, eternal life. Now listen, these things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Jesus said, do not be deceived. But the anointing which you have received from him, God, Jesus, abides in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. And then he goes on to say, and now little children, abide in him so that you're not ashamed at his appearing. Because if we're not abiding in him and looking to grow in him and go in him and do the will of God, then we're going to be ashamed when he comes. We're going to be like, oh, my goodness, I'm getting in smelling like smoke because I wasn't listening to the Word of God. Let's close this. I know you're getting tired. Back in chapter 7, whose glory are you seeking? Verse 18, but he, 18b, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true. Are you seeking to glorify God, lift him up? And no unrighteousness is in him. That's the, that's the place we're supposed to be going. As we walk in the spirit, we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then he goes into 19 and he wants to prove to them what's going on. Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Huh? Why do you seek to kill me out of nowhere? It's like, what is he talking about? And, they, and so the people, notice it's not the Jews, the people standing there answered and said, you have a devil. 
Who is seeking to kill you? So they don't know about the plot, but Jesus knows about the plot. The men have not revealed their plot to kill Jesus, and so the people don't know. Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work, and you all, Thalmadzo, you marvel. Moses therefore gave you circumcision. Oh, now we're talking about circumcision? You know what circumcision is, don't you? Cutting away of the flesh. Because the flesh can hold germs or sin and kill you. And so circumcision is really of the heart. It's to cut away the flesh from the heart and you walk in the spirit. But listen, this was, this was talking about circumcision of the foreskin where germs could hide and kill them also. And so the first covenant was ratified with circumcision. And he says, Moses therefore gave you circumcision. Notice in the parentheses, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, because where was it given at? In chapter 18, it was given to Abraham. It wasn't given to Moses, but then it was passed down through the Mosaic law, which God gave to Moses, one who was drawn out. What was Moses doing? He was drawn out, hearing the voice of God and telling others about it, the same way that you and I are supposed to be. If we're being drawn out, we grow, we tell others as we go. Sorry, I knew I chewed off too much here. What's his point? But from the fathers, okay, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. What was, the, what was circumcision? On the eighth day after a child is born, you were to circumcise uh, the foreskin of his flesh so that you prove that he's part of the covenant, right? On the eighth day. And he's saying, you guys do this on the Sabbath day. If a child is born and then the, the eighth day happens to fall, eight is number new beginnings, guys. If it happens to fall on the Sabbath day, you break the Sabbath by still doing the work of circumcision. So what he's telling them is, is that they actually break the Sabbath every time they circumcise a child on the Sabbath day. And they don't consider that breaking it. Watch what he says. He did something greater. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken... Are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Remember he healed him in chapter 5? Came in the sheep gate. He healed the man that laid by the sheep gate 38 years. And, and, and the testimony is, is that for this reason, the Jews plotted to kill him because not only did he heal the man and told him to rise up and take his bed and walk, but he also said that he was equal with God. So this is where the plot comes from. He's telling them, I know your hearts. See, they should turn. When he says, I know your hearts, I know what you're plotting, shouldn't this make them turn? But it doesn't. It hardens their heart. It hardens their heart. So when you hear truth, don't harden your heart. Hear the voice of God and obey God. He made a man completely well on the Sabbath, and they want to kill him for it. 24, do not judge, Crino, according to appearance, outward appearance, but Crino with righteous Chrysus. There's different words there. The last word for judgment is eternal judgment. The first two were just making a judicial or moral decision, and you're not supposed to do it by outer appearance. See, something can look really good. You know what? Somebody told me one time, well, Joe Osteen has to be doing something, right? Look at all the people in his church. He fills the whole stadium up. That's appearance. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. We're listening to the Spirit of God. 
And if you make that judgment, that decision, and you don't have all the evidence and all the support, and you don't have the mind of Christ, you will judge something wrongly. And they just judged Jesus wrongly. He made a man completely whole on the Sabbath, and they've been doing it themselves. Who are you, old man, that you judge someone and you do the same thing? Paul tells us in Romans, you do the same thing. So if you're going to err, err on the side of grace and know that you've been called to be a witness to that person, and if you see it in your life, instead of judging them, pray for them. Help them to grow. There might come a time when you speak to them, but you should be trying to help them to grow because if the Spirit of God is in them, that's what God wants to do is wash them and cleanse them and purify them and send them out to the masses to be a witness and give testimony because they heard and learned. But so many people, all they do is hear. And they deceive themselves. They don't become doers. Because see, the learners, the pupils, the true disciples become doers of the will of God. They perform the will of God by the Spirit of God for the glory of God. Where are you at today? Are you still judging just by appearance? Or are you walking in the Spirit? Are you asking the Spirit to control your life? Are you living about the Spirit of God? Because we're not flesh and blood anymore if we believe in Jesus. Father, thank you. Thank you for your son. Thank you for speaking and sending your word to heal the land and your truth walked among us and they killed him. And they're still killing him today. They're still hating him today and they hate his ambassadors. But Lord, we pray that you would give us boldness as Paul prayed for in Ephesians 6, all outspokenness, boldness to speak as we ought to speak, because that is the thing that changes lives. Lord, we don't want to whisper. We don't want to murmur. We want to know when to speak and when not to speak with your wisdom, but we want to be filled with your spirit, and we want boldness to speak the testimony of your son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I